Good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Before we turn to the Word, I invite you to join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. We take comfort in the reality that there is no place in the universe beyond your reach. There is no person in the universe beyond your reach. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming us into your presence because of the death and resurrection of your Son. Father, we thank you for the beauty of creation. Your beauty and your power, your creativity are on display all around us. We pray that we might notice and pause and give you thanks and praise in response. We thank you for the seasons and for the changing weather. God, it's been very, very dry this year. We do pray for rain to nourish the earth and to produce a harvest and to provide for every living thing. And so we ask you in your goodness that you would provide rain. We pray about the ongoing war in Ukraine. God, our hearts break for all the destruction and loss of life. We pray for a swift end to this war. We pray for freedom for the people of Ukraine. We pray for justice. We pray for those who are grieving the death of family and friends, for those who have fled their homes, their country, for those who are experiencing the horrors of bombs falling around them. God, we pray that you would give comfort and strength and hope. We pray for the church in Ukraine, that your people would persevere, would show compassion and courage, would share the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We also pray for the safety of our troops in that part of the world, and we pray for peace for their families back home. And Father, we pray for ourselves during these weeks leading up to Easter. We ask that our hearts might be eager to seek you. You have proven by sending your son that you want to be found. And we're thankful that you want us to know you and experience you. You want us to love you with all our hearts. Thank you for your word that reveals your heart and your mind. As we continue to study the gospel of Luke today, give us ears to hear. We invite your Holy Spirit to show us the things that we need to see and need to understand. God, expose our blind spots. Show us things we cannot figure out on our, on our own. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing in Luke. We'll be, I'll be reading from Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, if you have a Bible. I invite you to join with me as I read. I'll be reading from Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. You know, about 12 years ago, a guy named Nicholas Carr wrote a book called The Shallows, and the subtitle is 
what the internet is doing to our brains, okay? And he said he noticed in his own life this, just this troubling trend uh, of what was, he found was happening to his thinking, to, to his brains. He said he felt it the most strongly when he was reading. He said there was a time where he could open a book and he could read and he could just become engrossed in it. He'd just get drawn in by the plot. He'd follow these intricate, the intricate reasoning and an argument. But he said, so anymore, that's not very often. He said what's most often is he'll read a page or two and then he'll start getting fidgety and he'll feel like I, I have to do something else and he'd move on. And is conv- he's convinced the internet is the culprit Google, social media, online shopping, blogs, pop-up ads, the whole thing. And as common as the, the internet is a godsend, that's his word, in many ways. It's a godsend. We have, we have access to information. We have access to products in, in ways that were just unfathomable to past generations. And yet, this is what he writes. He says, the internet seems to be chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words, but now I zip along the surface like a guy on a jet ski. So there was a time when he went deep into the scriptures or into into books. You see where I'm going here. There was a time where he went, he went deep and he could immerse himself, but now he feels like he's just getting more and more shallow. And he doesn't argue that the internet is evil and we should never go there. I mean, that, that ship has sailed, right? But he's arguing that we need to be very, very aware of what the internet is doing to our brains. If we're not careful, we will live in a state of perpetual distractedness, perpetual distractedness never able to concentrate and think deeply about anything. We have an infinite amount of knowledge at our fingertips, and yet in the ways that really matter, we're becoming more and more shallow. And I read this, and I just feel this in the depths of my bones. Many times I find that my mind is just so full of so many voices, so many many influences, that when I want to sit down, and think deeply, and go deep in some topic. It's almost impossible. And this, this state of, of perpetual distractedness affects everything. It affects relationships. It affects conversations. It affects our productivity in the workplace. And what I want to talk about today, it can affect our ability to seek God. And I bring all of this up because today's passage challenges us to slow down and give Jesus our undivided attention. The church in every generation and in every culture has challenges. I'm convinced this is one of the biggest challenges for the church today in our culture. Uh, I think that for us, learning to slow down and give Jesus our undivided attention is kind of a lost art in many ways. Somewhat shockingly, Jesus is going to say in this passage that the one thing, the one thing we must not neglect is listening to Jesus if we want to be his disciples. 
So today we begin week two of our season of seeking, and that's what we've designated these six weeks leading up to Easter. If you didn't grab one of these last week, we have these reading guides. You'll find weekly and daily input on seeking God through prayer and fasting and the Word. And we're working our way both in the, the, the daily guide and in our Sunday morning messages through the Gospel of Luke, specifically chapters 9 through 24. And throughout these chapters, Luke reminds us that Jesus is on a journey. He's going somewhere. He's just not just wandering around the countryside. He has resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's where he's going. He says, I have to go there. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And then comes my exodus when I depart this world and I go back to my Father in heaven. And so we are seeking as a church, we are seeking to learn to follow Jesus the way the original disciples did. Jesus went to the cross. We too need to pick up our cross daily and follow him. Jesus went all the way back to his heavenly father. And so we walk through this world mindful that that is our eternal, our final destination. And so we want to anticipate our heavenly destination. We want to be fully prepared whenever the day comes when we arrive. So today's passage is Luke 10, 38 through 42. And right off the bat, Luke reminds us that Jesus is on a journey with his disciples. 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Luke doesn't tell us, but we know from John 11 that Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, they lived in a, in a town called Bethany. It was about two miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus had a special affection for these three siblings. Verse 39, and she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. If you sit at someone's feet, uh, you, you considered that person your mentor or your teacher. You were submitting to whatever they would bring you. We encountered this, this expression back in chapter 8. There was a man in, uh, that, that was so possessed with demons that he had to live in a graveyard. And because he was so uncontrollable, he lived there unclothed. After Jesus cast this legion of demons out of him, the people of the town were amazed to find that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, he was clothed, and he was in his right mind. He had experienced the salvation Jesus brought so fully, so completely, that he, he became Jesus' disciple. He sat at his feet, hanging on his every word. And so Mary assumed the same posture. She assumed this posture of a disciple. We read, she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And it's fascinating. If you read the Gospel of Luke, by the time you get to chapter 10, there is no doubt about it. You cannot overstate the importance of listening to Jesus. Many times when Jesus would teach, he'd say, okay, everybody that has ears, hear what I'm saying. In other words, if you have a heart to hear this, to receive it, hear what I'm saying. And, and so... Um, uh, if you don't listen to Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. You won't know what he wants from you. You don't know how he wants you to think, feel, speak, and act. 
I mean, you can be busy. You can do a lot of things and say, I'm doing this for you. But you won't know if it's pleasing him if you don't listen to him. And so let me just give you two examples from earlier in Luke. One is a parable and the other is an experience. The parable in Luke 6, it's a parable about two men and they each build a house. And the one man's house, when the floods came, the house was blown away. It was just washed away. Why? Because he built the house on the ground with no foundation. The other house, the floods rose, the winds blew, the storm came, and it stood solid because this man had dug deep. He has built his house on the rock. And Jesus' comment is, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, that person will be like the man who built his house on the rock. You will be unshakable. When the storms come, you won't be devastated. You will have this perseverance, this stability in your life. And so hearing and doing are essential. But hearing comes first. That's the, prior, the, the, the primary thing. Because if you don't hear, you won't know what you're supposed to be doing. Okay? And then there's this experience, and this just fascinates me to no end. You can read the, it's, it's about, it's in chapter 9 about the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus went up on the mountain with kind of his three inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus is up there praying, they fall asleep. When they wake up, they look, and Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, and they're all radiant, okay? And they're terrified. Notice, notice what happens. This is, this is quite humorous, I think. Verse 33, we're in Luke 9, 33. And as the men were parting from him, that's Moses and Elijah, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then here's Luke's comment, not knowing what he said. Okay, so he was talking, but he had no idea what he was saying. And then as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, And they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is as if God from heaven was saying, Peter, stop talking. Close your mouth. You don't know what you're saying. You are are in the presence of the one who has all wisdom, all power, all compassion. He's always the most intelligent, brilliant, wise person Everywhere he goes, listen to him, okay? That's chapter 9. We come to chapter 10, our passage today, and this is what we read. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary got it. She assumed the posture of a disciple. She has ears to hear. She wants to build her house on the rock so that she can weather the storms of life. She is undistracted. She is giving Jesus her undivided attention. Why? She's a disciple. She she is teachable. She believes Jesus has things to tell her that she has to have if she's going to live her life well in a God-honoring way. By contrast, notice how Luke describes Martha. And this is a famous passage, okay. 
So if you consider yourself a Martha, don't get mad at me, okay? Don't get mad at Luke. Don't get mad at Jesus. This is not about personality types. This is not about human beings and human doings. This is, this is about discipleship. This is something essential for everybody. And so in verse 40, <clears throat> but Martha was distracted with much serving. The term serving is, is most commonly translated ministry. Uh, Acts 6 talks about the ministry of the word and prayer. And so service ministry is good. It's advocated everywhere in scripture. Paul said we're supposed to be zealous for good works. Just before this passage and in the previous passage in Luke 10, it's recorded the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he's commended because he stopped and he did something. He found this man who was left for dead on the side of the road. And so he took care of him. He paid for, he paid for his, his needs. And so it was good that Martha welcomed Jesus into her home and served him. What was not good was that her much serving distracted her and kept her from listening to Jesus. Her serving kept her from having the posture of a disciple. She was so busy serving Jesus she didn't have time to listen to him. And when I read this passage, I mean, it absolutely slays me. I think, how many times have I done this? I have been busy. I have been serving Jesus at the expense of listening to him. Is it possible? How many times have I, have I been just exactly like Martha? And Martha's refreshingly clueless about her condition, and what she says reveals as much. First of all, she asks a question, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve, to serve alone? Apparently, uh, she was offended that Jesus didn't remedy this, this injustice right in front of him. If anything, he was enabling Mary. He wasn't, he wasn't confronting her. Don't you even care about me? the one who came from heaven to earth, the one who was going to Jerusalem to die for her sin. Don't you even care about me? And then next, Martha tells Jesus what to do. Tell her then to help me. She, she kind of expected Jesus to say, Martha, I'm so sorry. You're right. You're right. I shouldn't, be, shouldn't let Mary just sit here at my feet listening to me. Mary, would you get up and help your sister? She apparently didn't believe that it's possible to serve Jesus in the right proportion and to listen to him. And like everyone who follows Jesus, she had to unlearn some ways of thinking. She needed to be teachable. She needed to let go of some long-held ways of doing things. And Jesus', Jesus response had to have been a surprise to Martha. And you can't really read it through the words, but, but I believe that he had compassion and kindness, affection in his voice. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. And we can all sympathize with Martha, right? I mean, she had 13 house guests, at least 13 house guests. Somebody has to make the preparations, food, the bedding, and so on. And certainly Martha didn't choose to be anxious 
and troubled over these many things that she was doing. She just was. This was Martha being Martha. And this is one of the things that we have to learn if we want to follow Jesus. Steve being Steve is not always the best thing for my discipleship, okay? And so we have to unlearn some, just some ways of doing some things we've done. Maybe, well, this is how I was raised. Well, okay, you, you have a master now. You have a Lord who can teach you some different ways of doing it. And Jesus' point is that Martha was preoccupied with many things at the expense of the one thing that was necessary. And the implication here, and again, this is, this is a, a warning to all of us. She, she was doing more than Jesus expected or wanted her to do, okay? She was serving. She was doing ministry. This, this, this is good in and of itself. And if she were only a host, if she were only a, um, uh, a household owner, if this were like a bed and breakfast, it would be fine to be preoccupied with these many things. But she wasn't just a host. She was a disciple. And a disciple, by definition, is a learner. And if you don't listen to your master, you cannot learn. It would be like you having a business and you have people working for you. And they are busy. But they don't listen to you. They don't do the things you want them to do. But they say, but I'm busy. I'm doing things. I, I, I have to do. This is the way I am. This is what I but, but wait a minute. You're not listening to me. You're not doing what I want you to do. You get the sense that's what Jesus is saying to Martha. And so, just as God had thundered from the Mount of Transfiguration, you get the sense he's saying, Martha, Martha, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. David Gooding summarizes how Jesus diagnosed Martha's condition in this way. I find it very insightful. He says, Martha meant well. She loved the Lord. She thought she was serving him. But her sense of proportion with regard to what was necessary was in fact depriving the Lord of what he most wished for and depriving her of what was most necessary. And it had come about precisely because she had not first sat at his feet and listened to him long enough to find out what he regarded as the paramount necessity. Interesting. If you keep reading our readings in the, this week in, in Luke uh, 11 and following, it's a lot of instruction. If you listen to Jesus, he will teach you some core things about prayer, about all sorts of things. Notice in verse 42 that, that what Jesus says, but the one thing is necessary, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What she gained from listening to Jesus would endure. It would never be obsolete. It would never be taken away from her. She would learn how to think and feel and speak and act. She would know what things she should do she would know what things should be left undone. She would experience the beauty and the wisdom of Jesus firsthand. It wouldn't be secondhand hearsay. And she would come to know Jesus and would therefore fall more deeply in love with him. That gives me a vision for slowing down, giving Jesus my undivided attention. 
I will get something that will not be taken away from me. During the season of seeking, it's, it's an extended period of time. It's six weeks where we can learn to assume, adopt the posture of a disciple. And it's a long enough time where you, you, can, you can learn this. You can try different things. You can make adjustments to your life. And in our day, uh, we listen to Jesus primarily through the scriptures. It reveals who he is, what he wants of us. You have all different genres of, of scripture, but it's this fascinating account of what it looks like to know and follow Jesus. And so we read and reread the scriptures. We think about it deeply. We talk with other people about the scriptures, and we seek to impl implement it in our lives. And that way, we go deep instead of saying, staying shallow like the guy on the jet ski. That's how we go deep. And we, we hear from God also in prayer, especially when we pray based upon the scriptures. And so in light of the examples of Mary and Martha, let me encourage you to do three things. I'll say these very briefly, and then I want to give you an example. And um, it's pretty uncommon when people actually change their lives, actually change their behavior. And so we're asking you to do something very unusual, very difficult. Very few people do this, but this, this is our challenge if we want to learn to follow Jesus. Number one, evaluate your desire and motivation to listen to Jesus. I mean, what, what is your desire? Just be honest. There's, there's no use and no, uh, no reason to try to bluff it when it comes to seeking Jesus and listening to him. Some of you are all in. You are passionate about seeking Jesus. For others of you, maybe you just have never tried it. Or maybe you have the sense of obligation. I know I'm supposed to, so I will. But that never carries anybody very far. And if you find that your desire is lacking, talk to God about it. Pray about it. He loves to give people this desire to listen to Jesus. If anybody's committed to discipleship, it's him. And he, he will answer that prayer. Talk to somebody that you trust if you need input on, on uh, your desires. Second, I encourage you to eliminate one thing that distracts you from listening to Jesus. Martha needed to serve less. She was doing too much. She was, she was so preoccupied with many things, she neglected the one thing. I found out for myself years ago, for some reason, I, so, so I'm a morning person. I love to meet with the Lord first thing in the morning, right when I get up, after coffee, of course. But uh, I found, I got in this habit where I would get up, and I would check email, I might read through the headlines of the day, I might even check Facebook, and I found that by the time I got to the scriptures, my mind was so busy, my heart was anxious, I'm like, no, I, I must not do that. I need to go, I need to eliminate that, I need to go directly to the word first thing in the morning. And so that's me, you're going to have to answer this for you, what is one thing you, you need to eliminate that is in your way, and if you can't think of anything, ask somebody who lives with you or somebody who knows you really well, they might be able to give you a suggestion or three. So eliminate one thing. And then third, decide when and where you will adopt the posture of a disciple this week. Everything we're committed to, we put in our schedule. We put on the calendar. We don't just say, well, maybe that will happen. So if you want to adopt the posture of a disciple, you might want a daily time. We recommend it, highly recommend it. What you do daily is what you really do. 
And you might have an extended time once a week when you adopt the posture of a disciple. And this will be more challenging for some than others. Given my stage of life, I got no kids in the home. We don't even have a dog. I mean, I've got zero excuses for not seeking God, spending unhurried time sitting at the feet of Jesus. I've got zero excuses. Some of you have small children, and that is a unique challenge. And some of you have demands on your time where you, you, you don't have all this flexibility. Talk with others who are in the same situation as you. We all have 168 hours a week, 167 this week, but we all have the same amount of time. And by God's grace, we can find a time to, to seek, to listen. I want to close by sharing the experience of one person uh, here at Faith uh, during the season of seeking. And uh, in addition to her daily time with the Lord, she is designed a plan to adopt a posture, the posture of a disciple through prayer and fasting and the word. And I just submit to this to you as an example. Your, your, your plan may look nothing like this, but I found this, this rather uh, visionary, this one. A couple things about her history of seeking God. She said she had wanted to seek God through fasting in the past, but she never really did because she was afraid she would do it wrong, okay? And she said when she did develop plans for seeking God, they tended to be big ideas, kind of elaborate plans, so much so that she would often find they were, they were too much. She couldn't actually, actually pull it off, thinking she had to do it right. And so she says this, this time the ability to plan ahead helped me formulate a doable plan. I know the Holy Spirit helped me in this process. I determined that once a week on Wednesdays during Lent, I would spend time with the Lord seeking his face and fast from all food until 2 p.m. I planned to take my Bible, my journal, and a lawn chair out to Tuttle Creek after I finished my work for the day. I figure I would aim for about an hour in his word with prayer. And so this was two weeks ago, actually. She said, after work, I got home, grabbed my Bible and journal, and as a bonus, also grabbed my dog. I wondered about that choice, but he actually provided a calming presence for me. We arrived on site. I set up my chair, but we started out by walking around. I used the time to breathe, to notice God's creation, and to center my thoughts on him. I recited the Lord's Prayer petitions and added my own prayers and praise in line with that prayer. And I realized that I had done a lot of speaking, but not much listening. So I turned to the Psalms and I read and prayed Psalm 91 through 94. It was a beautiful time of hearing God's encouragement. He reminded me that he was my refuge in the storm and I have been experiencing a lot of fear and anxiety lately and I felt like a weight had lifted. I also wanted to listen to God and to his spirit for current situations and relationships in my life. At that point, I started walking again and began talking with God, sometimes out loud, sometimes silently, about the issues and relationships I had in, on my mind. I asked him to help me listen. I did not hear his voice audibly. However, through his spirit, he brought actionable ideas, I like that, actionable ideas and encouragement to me through that sweet and encouraging prayer time. Ideas and encouragement for my son, 
for my husband, for my students. And she says after about an hour and a half, uh, she went home and she ate lunch. And here's her takeaway. She writes, I am experiencing physical relief from anxiety, a strongly felt connection with my Heavenly Father, and the encouragement to continue my Wednesday practice. I also plan to, plan to vary my Wednesday pattern. I want to get used to meeting with God this way in a variety of places and just follow his lead. I do think I will continue walking and talking with him outdoors. I feel connected to him so strongly in creation. I also want to integrate more prayer time into my daily time with him. And so that is the posture of a disciple. She's slowing down. She is focusing her attention solely on Jesus Christ, and she's listening to him. That is available to every single one of us. Let's seek God. Let's adopt the posture of a disciple this week. And so, Father, we pray that you will give us the desire, give us the ability, give us the time, resources, the help, whatever we need to adopt the, the posture of a disciple. God, I pray for those here today who, who uh, might be trying this out for the first time. I pray for those who might see no way to find time for this in their schedules. God, would you provide? God, would you reveal? Would you give discernment? Pray, God, we might be a great encouragement to one another on this. If it really is the case that the one thing necessary is to listen to our Lord, we pray, God, that you would make it possible. And so give us everything we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.